This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. The Morning Blitz with Rick Corey. Weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on the Blitz 1170 and streaming at theblitztulsa.com. All right, 149 here on the Blitz 1170 on this Wednesday afternoon. Hope that you've had a good day. My name is Jeremy Poplin. Thank you for tuning in this afternoon, and thank you for streaming via the uh, Blitz 1170 app. Let's hit up that Oklahoma Ford dealers hotline and welcome in Dr. Christopher Crane from Tulsa Bone & Joints. Check them out online, tulsaboneandjoint.com. Dr. Crane, how are you doing this afternoon, sir? I'm good. How are you? Doing well today, uh, indeed. Uh, Maybe... Probably, well, not maybe, in a much better position right now than Matthew Stafford is in because I sent this to you earlier, and the word is, after a few weeks of uncertainty about what the real health level of Matthew Stafford is, the quarterback of the Rams, uh, Sean McVay finally revealed Sunday what's what's been happening. He told reporters that Stafford suffered a spinal cord contusion and is likely to miss the end of the season. So before we go any further, Doc, let's talk about what exactly is and how a spinal cord contusion can happen to a quarterback like Matthew Stafford. Yep, the spinal cord is the collection of nerves that are traveling down behind the vertebrae of the spine, going from the brain and exiting at the different levels of your spine to go down your arms or your legs. And they they travel in a collection and that collection is really pretty well in an enclosed space in the sense that there is durable layers wrapped around it not only for protection but um, but to keep things in position and when you have a contusion that happens in these nerves essentially what's going on is there is some amount of bruising and bleeding and inflammation uh, adjacent to or part of that spinal cord. The problem is it can't really go anywhere. If you if you bruise something on your arm or your leg, it kind of can can expand. That swelling can can expand outward. But in an enclosed tight space like that, it sort of compresses down on the nerves instead. And that's a tough situation. You can have dysfunction of those nerves where they can't do their job. They can't get that signal from the brain to the body. And so you can get weakness, you can get numbness and tingling. Uh, it, and I mean, if it's if this is severe enough, you can get paralysis from this, and then the recoveries can be pretty long too. Okay, that gets me to the next part of this, which is here's Matthew Stafford, who's been in the league 14 years. He finally went to the top of the mountain last year and got his Super Bowl ring that he has coveted, that most players do. So, from what I understand. Um, typically, like you just mentioned, and I, I read a story that said numbness that Stafford felt in both legs. He was worried about the long-term effects of, of the contusion. Um, it, the neck is causing numbness into both legs. It's concerning, right, that the numbness goes uh, to legs from a neck injury. So mm-hmm. w- what, what type of... What type of questions would should Matthew Stafford be asking himself here during this time? Because now you, you can have a procedure, some type of fusion, right, to maybe correct something. But, I mean, at this stage in his career, 
This sounds like one of those, is this going to be it for me type of scenarios? Absolutely. This, especially like you're saying with severe symptoms, he's having numbness, tingling, his nerves are not managing to communicate with his legs on both sides from injury to his neck. And that's a substantial amount of compression and inflammation that they're, they're suffering from. And the, the two big questions that jump out at me are how much of this is going to recover. I mean, this can in some cases be permanent, but in most cases it just takes months and months to get better. So I think likely to miss the season is a generous statement. He almost certainly is done. Yeah. Take a miracle to bring him back at the end of it. But I think that the bigger question, you know, does he get all of it back? And then if he does, is he willing to risk a repeat of the injury? Now, knowing that he's had one, it kind of has proven that that's an area that can take an injury. Is that something he wants to risk again? And as you put it, I mean, he's, he's got the ring. He's kind of accomplished some of the things that he set out to do. And having had um, an episode like this that shows him just how serious an injury it can be, I think a, a very strong consideration of, of risk versus benefits and what his goals are and what he wants to, to risk moving forward. Cause I, this should be something that, that puts a very significant concern for permanent injury in somebody. So when I read about this from a, from a former NFL physician that was saying uh, neck surgery, fusion surgery, or some type of decompression surgery of some kind, which then you can try to return to play on that. Is there a difference between the fusion and decompression surgeries? Like what would one of the options actually be for Stafford? Yeah, it depends a little on how the injuries happened. And I don't have details on that, but the the decompression is to try to relieve that pressure. So to essentially go in and create a space in that durable wall that surrounds the spinal column so that that pressure, that swelling can go somewhere that's not just compressing further on the nerves. Uh, and then you could also do disc decompressions and things to work. If, if there's a disc that's bulged out and is leading to that sort of bruising and contusion. It, again, it just depends exactly how he got injured. A fusion would be to simply um, take two vertebrae, one above and one below the level of the injury, and fuse them in place. So no motion moves at that joint anymore. You'd move above it and you'd move below it. But at that level, we wouldn't allow motion so that we hopefully give that area a chance to rest and not have to deal with continued pressure from movement or from the disc or from anything like that. Um, but that's got its own risks. And now you're, you're moving more at levels above and below. And that's, that's a young person to have a pretty dramatic surgery. So I don't know Tell how, I don't know how anyone else feels about this, but anytime we start talking about these that, that uh, affect the spinal cord and you just talking about, uh, going in right and trying to relieve some of the pressure, like the hair on the back of my neck started to stand up. Like if there's one injury, I think that scares the living daylights out of people. Um, it's it's something that happens with your spinal cord. Uh, do you kind of do you get that sense when you talk to patients about having um, or or from from your past of talking to people that have had injuries like this, like that 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 it really kind of sets a specific tone. Well, thankfully, this is fairly rare. I see more of the. Uh, degenerative changes leading to pressure on nerves. And I think that's more common in just the population. Um, but yeah, anytime you're dealing with 
numbness, tingling, weakness, and I mean, just the, hearing the word paralysis anywhere near an athlete is something you never want to have happen. Uh, and it definitely gets people's attention. They get multiple opinions. They make sure and they do very deliberate actions to make sure that what they're doing is optimal, that they understand all the risks, and that they've done the best for their body and for their career moving forward. All right, let's move on from Matthew Stafford and his injury and one that I sent you because I'm a little bit selfish uh, in this topic. And I'm talking of a potential injury that my team's quarterback suffered. That's Jimmy Garoppolo, the very generic. He has a uh, broken foot. They at first thought it was a Liz Franck injury, but reports have come out that that is not the case. But there is speculation that Jimmy Garoppolo suffered a foot eversion uh, injury. Um what is that, Dr. Crane? Because the video that I watched, it did not look pleasant at all. <laughs> yeah, the ankle has motion in multiple planes. Everybody thinks about forward and back like gas pedal or moving away from the gas pedal, that being plantar flexion, dorsiflexion. But it can move in and out. And so when we see forced inversion or forced eversion, that's when we tend to see the ankle sprain. So when you're walking, you step on that uneven ground, your foot rolls inward. That's the more common one. Uh, his is an eversion where the foot was forced to go outward when it didn't want to. And that has its own set of injuries to it. And uh, fractures are not uncommon, especially in the, the outside of the ankle and near the fibula. With that, you can break the tibia and the very tip by the medial malleolus with that. Um, and sometimes it's kind of hard to tell right away because they also tend to produce tremendous amounts of swelling. And occasionally you don't see that fracture until a week or two later as the swelling comes down and the healing starts, and then you start to see those those tiny, almost hairline fractures that can develop in those bones too. Sounds like in him they're a little more worried further down the foot if they're working more less frank. But, again, it can be a little tough to tell until the – it's, you see him at the first and everything hurts. And it's kind of like, okay, let's see you back in a week. Let's kind of try to figure this out a little better. Well, and everyone started jumping to conclusions too. And this is another bad part, uh, right about social media and even talk show host is that we see a video and you, you couldn't really tell from the way that his foot moved. Was that his foot, uh, actually slipping out of his shoe at that time. You know what I mean? Like the, the true movement of the foot. Everyone's tight trying to diagnose it from a video, and that's just impossible to do until you are actually the physician and they're taking a look at it. Yeah, and it's fun to try to zoom in on the video. You get like four <laughs> pixels. You're trying to figure out which one's the shoe, which one's the foot. Um, but, yeah, it's it's hard, and especially when they they have immediate pain. They They will favor the leg no matter what's injured, and so just trying to figure out. What's really the main issue is is part of that first you know day or two or even up to a week just trying to let things calm down and and sort of become more clear. And uh, it's it's not super rare that we get X-rays the first time and it looks okay, and then you get X-rays later and you see that small little crack that wasn't really visible before that's already starting to heal and kind of helps guide you a little faster. Uh, if you're loaded in a football player, you can sometimes get MRIs, which can find things a little easier too. But uh, it just kind of depends on what they what they thought when they saw him and how bad they thought it was. And another part of this is sometimes the studs or the cleats on the bottom of the shoe can be unforgiving because they get locked into that ground sometimes, and uh, they're not the one that ends up you know giving half the time. Which it seemed like that was part of the issue with Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Yeah, grass has a little bit of give to it. It does. When you're when your cleats gripping and you start to slide, you can tear the grass and you can slip a little and there's dirt and it'll it'll give. But turf does not like to and typically your grip from the shoe to the turf is is a lot stronger. And so your ankle tends to be the one that gets distressed instead of the grass. So we we do see a little bit more ankle and knee injury in turf and it's part of the big conversation that we've had before about grass versus turf and which one's truly the better choice and that's a that's a controversial thing going on right now and that's and this is one of those types of arguments for against turf is that this type of injury maybe wouldn't happen as often if the the ground had just a little more give. And it seems like, Doc, that that's picking up a little bit of more momentum, uh, more more momentum than than what we've seen in the past. Because it's not only the NFLPA, but you know, one of the the strongest like points of leverage I think that the players have is using their voice on this. And I've heard more players this year talk about how the NFL should ban artificial surfaces more than I've ever heard before. Yeah, and it's something that there's there's pretty decent data for, and it just does not seem to be the shoe's fault. It doesn't seem to be the, even the turf design itself. They try different turfs, and it, it struggles to make a difference. And I think that it's something that's probably been going on for a long time, and it's just sort of bubbling to the head with players just getting frustrated with having to deal with that uh, and the injuries that come from it when there is an alternative. Well, if uh, anyone's listening and they have any issues on any type of artificial turf surface, you can give Dr. Christopher Crane a call, uh, whether that's problems not only with your foot and ankle, your hand, your hip, your knees, your shoulder, you name it, pretty much uh, Dr. Christopher Crane will take care of it. Sports medicine, wrist injuries, everything. Uh, call the main line there at Tulsa Bone and Joint at 918-392-1400. They can get you patched through. Uh, Dr. Crane practices out of Sand Springs. Uh, and again, go to the website, TulsaBoneandJoint.com. It is truly remarkable, the resource that that website is it has everything and it can answer so many questions for you dr crane thank you so much sir have a great rest of your week and we'll check in again with you next week absolutely take care thank you that is uh dr christopher crane from tulsa bona joint tulsa bona joint.com and thank you for listening to this exclusive blitz 1170 podcast from bravado wireless